people, as the remnant who has not bent the knee to Baal, to Satan and his wiles, to lift our voices in prayer and song, and to learn from your word. We ask this morning that you clear out any distractions from our minds, any hardness of our hearts, that we might hear your voice clearly echoing within us, and that that voice echoing throughout us might find a home within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is one of the most difficult questions for our culture to answer and one of the most fundamental. What does it mean to be a man as opposed to a woman? I'm not talking about biological differences. I'm talking about behavior character, how we conduct ourselves, what qualities uniquely characterize men, if any. The Bible has much to say about this, like this from 1 Corinthians 16. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So the Bible evidently has a conception of what it means to act like men. I wonder if we need a reminder. See, this man named Alistair Begg, Alistair Begg, a Scotsman, who has lived in the United States, in Cleveland, for the last 40 years, and has built a very popular and far-reaching media empire called Truth For Life Ministry, was doing the Twitter rounds this weekend. You might not have caught it, but I will tell you. With God-given gifts for oratory, Pastor Begg has used Truth For Life to defend the inerrancy of Scripture in an age increasingly at war with it. Did we really come from one couple, Adam and Eve? Did the flood really happen? So it came as a surprise this weekend when in an interview, he counseled Christians to attend a family member's same-sex wedding and even to bring a gift. Christians should do this, he says, provided the to-be-wedded couple know of their position on same-sex attraction. If the couple knows that you object to their union, then it is okay to go and even bring a gift. He says, quote, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they believe these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared, 
to countenance anything, end quote. And continuing, and he says, and it is a fine line, isn't it? And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and don't understand that he is king. End quote. And so one of the... I, I by no means have built a 40-year ministry where many people have benefited and been blessed and received grace from that. So I don't mean to impugn the man, but obviously not everyone is perfect. And obviously we once in a while drop bombs from the pulpit that make no sense. So we are always willing and waiting for the opportunity to this uh, minister to repent and correct himself. But nonetheless... We must call out this error. Some defending his advice have suggested that this is an application of our reading from Romans today, which our dear brother Dan read, in which we are told, quote, If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so the question remains, how is a man to act? Should he go to his same-sex attractive family member's wedding, bearing a gift? Let's work out three ways and three implications of biblical masculinity in order to clarify how the biblical man is to love one's enemies. For this is the purported claim upon which we are acting if we are to go to a same-sex attracted wedding. In 1 Corinthians 16, which I read earlier, St. Paul's exhortation begins with these two simple words. Be watchful. It means be alert. It means stay awake. And not the awake that we all hear talked about in the media. True alertness and true awakeness. Be vigilant. It makes us think of watchmen on the walls of big cities who are on the lookout for approaching enemies. It used to be that if you fell asleep on your watch, that was a capital offense. If you were caught snoozing while you were meant to be watching from the wall, you would be executed. So important is the job of him who watches. If they do their jobs correctly, they'll protect the city and avoid disaster. But if they don't, the enemy is going to sneak into the city and destroy it. The command to be watchful is quite common in Scripture. It is found in a few places, which I will share quickly. In Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, it says this. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness. Considering thyself, 
lest thou also be tempted. Considering thyself, yet ye also be tempted. Be watchful of yourself that you might be tempted. 1 Timothy 4 says this. 1 Timothy 4 says this. First Timothy 4 says this. I'm trying to be old school and use a, a paper Bible rather than my phone. Because I think the phone is a temptation to not read our Bibles. Because we'll be there all the time. So forgive me as I go through. First Timothy chapter 4 says this. Verse 16. Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee, amongst other places. Watch outside and watch yourself. It's clear that the Bible calls us to be watchful. But for what? For the things that would threaten to wound our souls and undermine our trust in Christ. We need to look out for things that would tempt us to sin. For the devil's lies that would undermine our faith. We need to look out for the ways in which the world is drawing us to become more like it and less like Christ. You all remember the story of the Trojan horse. Well, the children, will someone from the children tell me the story of the Trojan horse, Eli? Yes. 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 That's it. And so the men who are meant to be watching were deceived because inside this gift, this is why we say, fear the Greek, beware the Greeks bearing gifts, for their gifts are. Destruction Inside the horse was a platoon of soldiers that at night got out of the horse because the horse was led into the gates and they opened the gates and let the rest of the Greek army into Troy and Troy was destroyed. And so agreeing to go to a same-sex wedding celebration, agreeing to bringing a gift is a trap to conform us to a lie. The exterior horse, the idea that we have made it clear that we object, is the outward appearance of holiness, of righteousness. But the inside is rotten. Agreeing to go to such a ceremony is to fall asleep at the gates, to see only the idea that we have made clear our objection. The problem is that we'd rather watch our screens than ourselves. We'd rather look at someone else's life on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter than our own. We'd rather be watchful for the fictional enemies that exist in our video games and comic book movies than be watchful for the real enemies that wage war against our souls. Make no mistake, biblical men, strong men, take sin seriously and watch for it from the gate. Second, we are to stand firm in the faith. So we are to watch, and then we are to stand firm. 
We know what it means to stand firm because we are stubborn by nature, aren't we? We dislike getting proven wrong. And we don't like it when someone tells us to do something. You shouldn't do that with your children. You should do this. You shouldn't treat your spouse that way. You should treat them this way. You shouldn't work that way. You should work this way. We know what it means to be stubborn. But Christ calls men to stand firm on specific things, not on our flesh. In fact, we are called to give ground in many areas, especially when it comes to personal offense. And this is a very important teaching because throughout the Bible, when we hear um, love your enemies, when we hear turn the other cheek, when we hear heap, um, feed your enemy when he hungers, it is always in the context of personal offense. Take no account of yourself. If someone down the street says, Felipe, you are old and gray. You look tired. There's no way you can keep a wife like Lillian. I could, be, I could say, wow, that is very offensive. How dare you and punch the guy in the mouth. Or I could just say, you know what? Maybe you're right. By God's grace, she stays with me. Thank you very much. And... I keep walking because I take no offense because I am of no account. Turn the other cheek when someone offends you. It is not to be a rug on the floor when enemies are at the gate and for you to roll it out and say, welcome, please have at my house and take all my belongings. It isn't a command To invite sin into your family's life? No. We are to stand firm. Christian men, Christian men give ground on the context of personal offense, but not when it comes to what matters. When it comes to the truth of Scripture, when it comes to protecting our families, our towns, our nations, we must not give ground. We are to stand firm in the faith by holding fast to what the Bible teaches, whether it be about gender and sexuality or about the death and resurrection of Christ. If the command to be watchful applies before temptation comes, the command to stand firm in the faith applies when it has already arrived. You see, we are right now standing and watching as other long-time Christian-serving ministers fold on the topic of sexuality. As we watched when they folded on the topic of gathering against the state's commands. We stand and watch. And then when someone comes into the door potentially, or when a family member says, I invite you, to a same-sex wedding, that's when the temptation has arrived. The temptation to what? To not offend, to be nice, to be polite. So if the command to be watchful applies before temptation arrives, the command to stand firm applies when it has arrived. We are to stand firm in the faith by wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because it is both what we defend and how we defend. We must not yield 
to the temptation to be nice, to be polite, to not cause offense, but rather in love, we must find a way to express to our family member that God does not bless such an abomination, that his eternal wrath awaits such deformity. But every day is a new day to turn to him, that he is always ready to receive us in his embrace, provided we humble ourselves. No, we will not attend such a wedding, but we love you and call you to the Lord. Thirdly and lastly, we heard from the, we heard, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and then at the end of the verse we heard, let all that you do be done in love. And this is what makes biblical masculinity distinctly Christian, different than Islamic or even Viking masculinity. The main characteristic of masculine strength isn't large muscles, although it may play a part, or strong opinions, although that plays a part, or loud voices, or forceful personalities. It's love. Love is the distinguishing mark of the mature, godly man. It seeks out the good of others before its own. It humbly serves without desire for recognition or reward. Love overflows even for one's own enemies. How do we know? Because that was, that's what, what Jesus was like. The strongest man, the strongest man who ever lived was a man of love. Love for God, love for neighbor, even love for his enemies, us. We see it in our gospel today, don't we? Jesus heals the centurion's servant. The centurion, <clears throat> put your minds back into that context. The centurion, a Gentile conqueror of Jesus' people. A man who is wielding the sword to oppress and rule over the people of God. Was most certainly, he, the centurion, was most certainly considered a personal and national enemy of the Jews. Yet Jesus did not refrain from building a bridge with the centurion. The centurion receives Jesus with great humility. So great that Jesus commends him as having the greatest faith in all of Israel. And so Jesus heals this man's servant. What he does not do is bring a gift to a Roman pagan feast celebrating the conquest of Israel. If the centurion said, hey mate, I'm throwing a party. We're going to have We're going to have beef, we're going to have lamb, we're going to have burritos, we're going to have tacos, we're going to have wine flowing. Will you come to this celebration and bring wine and bring a gift? Jesus didn't turn on and say, you know what? I don't agree with what you've done here, but I will come and I'll bring a gift so that you understand that what you've done is wrong. No. 
just doesn't happen. <laughs> Having healed, though, the centurion's servant and commended his faith, do we not think the veteran soldier, this centurion, will go on to be more compassionate, more just with the people whose land the army he commands is occupying? Is this not what St. Paul says to do in our epistle? To feed our hungry enemy. To hydrate our thirsty enemy. To attend the same sex-attracted family member celebration of sin with a gift would be to treat our enemy with hate. For it blurs the truth and commends them to hell everlasting. Love requires words matched with actions. Either declining the invite or attending with the plan to obstruct the ceremony with love. Perhaps a Muslim society would throw the couple off a roof. That would be their response, would it not? Perhaps a Viking society would go in with a sword and hack them all to death. In another context, I wish and I hope for a future of this kind with more Christian men at hand as we would go to abortion clinics and pray and sing and obstruct peacefully. I would love to gather a people to go to the wedding and obstruct it. For I cannot countenance a society that I would want to live in where sin is glorified, celebrated. Societal pressure is underestimated. This is why they want us to get away from abortion clinics. This is why they arrest us for quietly doing nothing but praying without speaking outside of an abortion center. Because they know that a people gather to rebuke someone is powerful. And that rebuke comes in love. Not God hates gays and you will burn in hell. But God loves you and wants you to turn from damnation. God wishes for you to be in heaven. Turn now and repent. Yes. <laughs> Just in case it was not abundantly clear how bad this advice was. Do you remember the episode from Corinth that the Apostle Paul talks about? <clears throat> Let's see here. 1 Corinthians 5 says this. That was a lot faster. Getting better. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I was present." Concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of Lord Jesus Christ, 
to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not say, go to this man's wedding and celebrate his union with his stepmother. He did not say, as long as they understand that you object, bear a gift. He said, cast him out. Cast him out that Satan might scourge him. And in such a scourging, he would turn back to God. This is love. Yes, Jesus showed his strength in his miracles. And yes, he showed it in the power of his teaching. But the ultimate expression of his strength was on the cross. The most tragic public humiliation ever exercised on any man. Jesus did not consider himself too lofty, too dignified for such a public display. We serve a Lord of love, a great man with a great heart. And if he loved us so, how much more should we love others? How much more should we do everything in love? Love isn't confined to the home or to the church. It should color all that we do. From the way that we treat others to the words that come out of our mouths, to the kindness that we show to the person who has no friends, to the way that we forgive our enemies, to the manner in which we handle invitations to celebrations of sin. Love isn't soft and mushy. It's as hard as a rock. So hard that it would sustain scourging, whipping, nails through the flesh. So unflinching. It's difficult, but it's worth it. Because it makes us understand the fullness of love that Christ has for us. What does it mean to act like men? It means acting like the greatest man who gave his life to make us like himself. Being vigilant. Standing fast. And doing all things in love. Beloved, beware of false teachers. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. For they will whisper sweet things in your ears. Tell you you can do sin when you cannot. And make you fall asleep in the embraces of Satan himself. So let us, men amongst us, be watchful. Act like men. Be vigilant. Be steadfast. And do all things in love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.